offloading, offerings, and, well, just plain offing. We share theories and thoughts about Forsaken on this 39th episode of Resurrection Revealed. Welcome back for another full discussion, fan feedback episode of the Resurrection Revealed podcast. We're a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our affiliate links at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. I want to thank you for joining us for this in-depth discussion. It's going to be all about season two, episode eight, entitled Forsaken. And this is an unofficial podcast by and for fans of ABC TV's Resurrection, recorded December 2nd, 2014. I'm at Wayne Henderson, your voice acting, podcasting, Green Bay Packers fan who thinks that I should be allowed to eat waffles whenever I want breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And I am at Troy Heinrichs, being sure to take very good care of my cuticles as I don't want them to turn blue for any stretch of the imagination, especially during the holiday shopping season. Oh, for sure. That'd be gross. Glad to be with you. Show notes for this episode can be found over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash 39 for Forsaken. And the first question I have for you, Mr. Henderson, is was there any part of the episode that seemed like it fit the title? I was still a little off on the title myself. I didn't even think to try to piece that together, but no, nothing seems to jump out necessarily to go with Forsaken. The only thing that I could think of was the people that were dropping off their family members at the church. Like they had been forsaken. Like when Christ is up on the cross and he's like, you know, you know, God, God, the father, you know, why have you forsaken me? Turned your back on me. And so that's the only part that I can tie into the title is the, why have you turned your back on these family people? If they're even people, as that one lady said about her late husband's father. I think you're onto something there, Troy. That sounds about right. Well, it was a great episode overall. I thought it was a little slow this week. And I know people are going to be like, oh, what do you mean slow? We've all been talking about a Resurrection's Awesome, even though we like the slow burn. But this week seemed like it was just overall a, you know, hey, this is the catch-up episode of season two. In case you haven't been following along, here's what's going on. Because it's setting up the cliffhanger of the big thing that happened at the end of the episode. For next week, which will, of course, then be the real cliffhanger until we come back from Christmas, we're assuming. Well, even though in some ways you could say that it was slow, I even caught myself thinking that. But in a good way, I was just sitting back, taking it all in and just savoring everything that was slowly unfolding. I don't think slow is a bad thing in this in this case. Yeah, I think that they needed the kind of 45 minutes of you know, pause and reflection in order for the two big bombshells that came out in this episode to really land home. One of which being, of course, Bellamy letting everybody know at Twain's that he was a returned. And then, of course, Tom saying, I love you. Those were two pretty big bombshells. I actually thought there was all sorts of things going on in this episode, and we've got a lot to talk about tonight and some uh, listener feedback that's going to shed a little different light on some of this stuff. Let's start off with Brian, Mr. Addison himself. He mentions the term laborer. I didn't know if you picked up on that when he's referring to his grandfather and how he was a laborer in the factory, almost like he's implying a class system back in the 1930s. 
is this something we should key in on because the returned versus the true living is also kind of a class system? I could see it playing that direction. I don't know if it's going to cover the overall arc of the story, but I did pick up on that little bit of a dig there. Like, you know, he was a laborer and, you know, the, the Langstons were running the whole show, but yeah, I definitely caught that term and I think it was placed in there in such a way for us to notice that uh, the Addisons and the family tree going back there, uh, that something, something big is going to happen. I don't know what yet, but they've got a plan and it seems to be going pretty smoothly for them. And Bellamy even kind of hints at that class system as well when he was talking uh, in, at Twain's and he's like, you know, am I different? You know, do I look different to you? Now he's probably implying the returned, but as the audience, your first inclination is, you know, am I different because I'm African-American? Yeah, it could be taken a lot of different ways. I did not see that scene coming at the restaurant at all. How'd you feel about Sheriff Fred Langston this week? He almost seemed kind of like the people whisperer. Is that what uh, being <laughs> sober does is uh, gives you the ability to listen and be a therapist? I could see it going that way. It, it it almost seemed in some ways like Fred until later in the episode kind of wanted to just be left alone and was kind of hoping that some of this stuff would just go away. He didn't want to be bothered at first, but then eventually, you know, he starts getting inside information about a possible situation that might happen at the church later on. But I didn't never think of him as a, uh, a people whisperer, but I'll keep an eye on that next week for sure. Well, the one piece of feedback I want to hear from everybody is what is a stress tornado? I've heard of sharknadoes, but I've never heard of a stress nado before. I wonder what would come out of that. Uh, it's bound to be explosive, but uh, I sometimes feel like a stress nado. So I, I, the phrase made a lot of sense to me. Uh, yeah, it, I love the altercation between the two of them. Bellamy just storms into his office. It's like, what are you doing? Why aren't you making stuff happen? And da 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 da. And I was waiting for a. Hi, Agent Bellamy. Nice to see you too, comment. <laughs> yeah, something along those lines. That was what the look in Sheriff Fred's eyes was saying. But it's great that their relationship was the same way. And instead of delivering the, hi, Agent Bellamy, nice to see you kind of quip, he just comes back with the, thank you for telling me how to run my town, Agent Bellamy. <laughs> yeah, might as well have been a, hello, Newman. Oh, uh, it was so good. So good. I love their relationship, especially later in the episode when he finally knows that he's returned and he kind of just looks at him like, does Maggie know? And Bellamy kind of nods. And then, of course, Sheriff Fred's like, eh, okay. <laughs> and just walks away. Yeah, I wasn't sure what Fred was thinking. Like, he could have been thinking, well, now that she knows, are you, are you going to just totally mess up her life even further? Or now that she knows, it's good that everything is out in the open. I couldn't tell which way Fred might have been thinking about it just yet. Well, there is a lot more to Maggie and Lucille's relationship. It seems like they want to get things patched up. At least Lucille does. Now, is she doing this because she's driven to wanting to reconcile because of the cross that's painted on her door? Or do you think there's other motives that Lucille has for wanting Maggie back on her side? I don't know. I just think Lucille's that kind of a lady that wants to reconcile because she's been thinking about the fact that these returned are for all intents and purposes, probably the real deal and partially her fault that uh, people have disappeared. So I, I think she just wants to make up 
just because it's family and it's, I don't know what the time of year is supposed to be, whether they've celebrated Thanksgiving like we did here in the States recently, but it looks like she just wants to move on. And then there's, of course, the conversation that they finally have with Maggie and her father and Sheriff Red's actually right in line with you, where he said, you know, maybe Lucille's more broken up about it than you think, because she's really blaming herself for the conversation she had about Barbara. Yeah, I think so. I, I really just think that's Lucille's thing. And I, I'm sure we're going to see a different side of Lucille coming up uh, next week. Well, here's what I want to know is how come they don't have a tea sponsor for this show? Because <laughs> if you think about it, you had, um, who was it? It was uh, Maggie a couple episodes ago. Sheriff Fred says, hey, let me bring you some tea. And then here he's telling Bellamy that he should go get some tea. So I, I guess he's turned to tea now instead of the bottle. I'm sure there's some sort of deep theory that we could uh, try to piece all into how tea and the properties of tea could somehow whirl into how people are returning. But it is interesting that it's so much tea and not quite as much coffee, which is the usual television standard, even though we did get a glimpse of the coffee shop in this episode as well. Yeah, maybe Lipton or Arizona or one of those other tea companies are using the water from Arcadia in order to make their product. And I drink a lot of iced tea, especially Arizona. So I should probably be careful, but enjoy it because you never know what might happen. Now, the line that Elaine has about her brother, there's some really interesting theories about Elaine and Ray's relationship coming up on later on in the show. But when she says, how incompetent do you need to be? When, when people say things like this, whether you mean to say it or not, as, as Elaine said, right? I, I didn't mean to say this. Whether you say it or not, you thought it, which means you kind of mean it, right? Yes, and I did not know how to take any of these scenes with Elaine in this week's episode. There's definitely a lot of thought that I think trying to keep an eye on her brother all these years has just kind of finally taken its toll on her. You know, you mix in the stress of the fact that, you know, there's all sorts of people coming back from the dead and then her father, Caleb, uh, disappearing yet again. I just think it's uh, all starting to crash down on her at once. But that was a very strange thing for her to say. I know. And you take the added stress of not being able to get your pretzels or whatever it was out of the vending machine. That just drives anybody bonkers. <laughs> I know. And did did you watch um, Revenge on ABC this week? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They also had a vending machine that wasn't working right. <laughs> I thought two shows in a row on ABC with vending machine troubles. I, I, I was starting to have a weird deja vu and, of course, flashbacks to loss of that's normal. But, uh, yeah, that is very stressful. She wanted those snacks and could not get them. Uh, stress NATO in the making. Watch out. And, of course, the interesting relationship again, we have the stress whisperer showing up. And <laughs> if you forget, you know, back at, I think it was season two, episode one, right, where uh, Sheriff Fred tried to mack on Elaine. So what kind of weird relationship do we have going on here? Yeah, it was either episode one. It might have been episode two, but I, that thought did cross my mind in this episode, thinking back to that crazy night that they went out just shooting guns and blowing out windows and just driving like maniacs. And yeah, it's it's hard to say what's going on with those two. Well, let's talk about the the big bombshells, right? So Janine... We all thought she was maybe a little crazy for wanting to be in this kind of trifecta relationship. 
the willingness to stay married to Tom so that they could raise the baby when Rachel finally disappears, when she realizes she can't keep the baby herself and loses the will to live. But Janine isn't quite wholesome in her own stead because she now has boldface lied to Rachel that they need to go stay at her sister's house to keep themselves safe. She has gone total flip cookies. And like you said, we knew something was amiss ever since she talked about our baby and, and really just seeming kind of odd, but I don't know why she thought that this plan would actually work. But then again, if she is mentally unstable, you're not thinking your plan all the way through. And whoa, that diary of hers, that definitely has pastor Tom uh, very concerned. Well, and then the fact that she's talking about our baby and in the journal, she refers to it as my baby. So it's very possessive in the journal, which I thought was quite telling as to where her frame of mind is. Oh, absolutely. And her frame of mind is in a very bad spot, very fragile spot. I know she's been through a lot in the past two seasons on the show, but wow, I don't know how they're going to fix this. Well, and I love that the uh, journal was shown and we were able to read a lot of those pages, especially the baby name list, because that was a clear clue that she really had something up her sleeve because Tom comes in and says, Nathaniel, Nathaniel's the name that we could probably go with. Rachel suggested it. And Janine's like, oh, sure. Yeah. You know, I totally don't mind what your ex-lover uh, baby mama thinks of the name, even though it's my baby. And then we look through the book and uh, Joe from the Eastern uh, Time Zone Resurrection Facebook group actually was great to point out to us that Caleb's name was actually kind of highlighted and pointed to with an arrow in the book. So if you go with Ray Mays's theory about, you know, time bending and time travel and the universe kind of folding in on itself, you know, could this be the birth of Caleb, but the young version and not the old version? Well, if nothing else, Janine's reality may be crashing in on itself. I did freeze frame quite a few things uh, in that section of the show when I was watching it because I knew that it was important. And I did see the notation next to the name Caleb, but it almost looked to me like she was pointing more towards whatever name was below that that I couldn't make out. But uh, either way, it's very, very odd. Yeah, and we have a great screen capture of it from Joe, so we'll post that pic up at the show notes. Again, resurrectionrevealed.com slash 39 for the Forsaken full fan feedback discussion. Yeah, and even though a lot of these situations that are happening on the show, they seem outlandish when you think about them, but the way they're presented on Resurrection is so well done, and the acting is so top-notch, that I'm just soaked in and trying to picture what if, I mean, what a weird relationship to be in. It's not your usual love triangle when, you know, one of the people has been back from the dead twice already and yet her baby's still, still alive. So it's very unusual and it's well done and it's going to be painful for all three people involved. Now, the best thing I thought was it shows Henry's kind of, evolution throughout the course of resurrection. We now have him very much involved with his son. If you go back to season one, when they were in the wood shop building the pirate ship that, you know, he was like, Oh, you shouldn't be in here. You know, you're too young or he's having that kind of mental breakdown that this isn't his son. Now he's sitting there having art lessons and how to draw uh, 3d perspectives on paper. 
and really, you know, enjoying the time with his son, of which he's then rewarded with this really cool Langston and Son furniture shop sign, which I know just warms Henry's heart completely. What do you think of Henry's evolution over the course of the season? Well, that sign warmed my heart as well. I thought that was very touching. It was a beautiful moment. Uh, Jacob, (laughs) what a great character. And you're right. I think Henry might be one of the people in this town of Arcadia that has changed the most since season one. He really has warmed up to his son and he's reinvigorated and wants to open back up the factory. He's a whole new man. Ever since Jacob and some of the other returned have come back to town, he has a whole new purpose instead of just relaxing all day with his wife and making cute little remarks with his wife and doing crossword puzzles like we saw in episode one of season one. He's now back. He's got a lot going on and he's a pretty happy guy. And does this really tie into then the longer term plan of the show? Because is it going to be Henry at the end of the day who's going to have to save Arcadia from whatever it is that's happening because of the true living coming into play because of this uh, payback scheme that grandpa has against the Langston family name? Is it really Henry who's really going to show Arcadia what it means to make family handcrafted furniture here in the United States. I would not be surprised. Henry is a pivotal character, great acting. Um, I think he's going to be in a little bit of hot water next week when uh, grandma, I mean, his mom, Margaret, as well as his wife, Lucille, when they find out that not only is the deal back on, but he's now leveraged the family home as collateral without checking with his wife first. And, he's going to be in hot water. It's going to be a messy, messy scene next week. Well, the bigger question is, is the banker part of the equation of this deal that the grandpa is trying to put across the Langston family? Because the the banker said the the deal was off, right? It wasn't even Brian that called initially. So I didn't think the banker had anything to do with it, but I thought it was really kind of clever how he said, well, you know, business deals have changed since the last time you borrowed from us. So you're going to have to put up some more collateral, Henry. Exactly. My first suspicion was that the banker is somehow involved in this, whether he's being paid a cut or if he might even be related to the Kirk and the Addisons and all of them. But yeah, that was very, very suspicious. And I think if he is in fact involved or helping orchestrate it, uh, I feel bad for Henry falling for that trap. I wonder The thing that keeps bugging me is that we're supposed to believe that it's a bad thing that Will Kirk, right? William Kirk, I think was his name, that he would be dealing this blow to get back at the Langstons after all these years and having this grudge. You know, could it be that he truly has good hearted motives in the end? We're, We're looking at it through the lens of revenge from the fire situation but at the end of the day, could time heal all wounds? Is that one of the lessons the show is trying to teach us? I think it's way too early to tell. And just based on how the actors were doing that scene, he looked like he was up to something and he looked like he did not want the best for the Langstons. Even though he didn't come out and say it, just something in uh, William Kirk's face made me think that he still is holding a grudge. And you would think not only after all this time, but after you die and come back to life, you know, you, some things you just kind of got to put behind you. 
Absolutely. So putting things behind you, Tom tried to do that when he had his you know lover pass away, committing suicide, driving off of the bridge, and moving forward by marrying Janine. But did he ever stop loving Rachel, which he never married technically, so there is no like death do us part kind of situation. So if he truly loved Rachel, but yet married Janine, is he ever really in love with Janine? Does he really actually honoring those marriage vows when he says, I love you to Rachel and saying that I tried to do my best, but is it really doing your best? Wow. I mean, he did not think, you know, when he married Janine and they've settled down in Arcadia, there's no way that he could have foreseen that his first love, Rachel, would be back to life, <laughs> you know, and it is so complicated that it's hard to really say. I mean, obviously, he said till death do us part when he married Janine and has told her that he loves her ever since the beginning when they fell in love and got married. So I do think that no matter how he feels about Rachel, he needs to focus on Janine, though right now he also needs to get help for Janine because uh, she's off the deep end. But it is very, very messy. And you know how all through these seasons of Resurrection Revealed here, I've been talking about how I don't think it's necessarily Tom's baby. We're all thinking that it's Tom's baby. And then a few weeks ago, I was starting to think, yeah, I'm just going to buy into it that it was Tom's baby. And I still think that's probably the case. But I tell you what, Troy, there was something in this episode. I need to watch it yet again. But there was some sort of scene or interaction in this episode that made me think, maybe it's not Tom's baby. So I might be flip-flopping yet again. Yeah, because there was that conversation in in the beginning when the lady dropped off her uh, deceased husband's father. You know, I don't know what that is sitting back there. And because we didn't know if she was pregnant before she committed suicide, then the question becomes is, did she get pregnant during the transition process of whatever it is going from, you know, previously human to now returned human? You know, could she have gotten pregnant in that transfer as part of some master plan? Mm, I didn't even consider that. That sounds almost like a, a Stephen King kind of option there. Potentially. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, you have to think that the reason why she potentially killed herself. And I think we talked about this on one of the episodes last season was that maybe she killed herself because she realized she was pregnant or the hormones from the pregnancy caused her to kind of go a little bit crazy and not knowing she was pregnant committed the suicide. So there's a lot that be said about, you know, who actually does belong to the baby because they still have not done a true paternity test, even though they did the amnio. Exactly. But their situation has gotten even more complicated at the very end of the episode, thanks to Kamikaze Carl, who I was totally rooting for Carl, you know, a couple of months ago when he finally took care of his super annoying big brother, Mikey. But ever since then, and him joining the true living, he's gone off the deep end. Yeah, I was really shocked that he was the one driving really crazy around town in this pickup truck. And the first question I had in the back of my head is, where's Gary? This totally seems like a role Gary would play. Or a role that Gary could get involved in and finally stand up for the right and turn you know these people back around. Because without Gary there to help guide them, I, that's part of the reason I think this true living group has just gone into a total lynch mob and they are not thinking. And now Carl, you know, he 
you know, when Fred finds out that his deputy Carl is involved with all this and is the one who ran down Pastor Tom, I have a feeling Carl's going to be losing the badge. What do you think? Yeah, I would say so, too. I mean, now, granted, the rundown was an accident because they didn't see Tom coming out the door standing there with kind of the extra tear gas. And they really pumped up the special effects for the how smoke travels in this episode. Right. We'll talk about that in the ratings section. But overall, I mean, when the tear gas comes through the window, I'm going back to that scene with Gary and his little club with uh, Sheriff Fred and the guns and the locker they had down there before the military shows up. And I don't remember any tear gas bombs. And of course, if you're following anything in, you know, St. Louis and Ferguson and, you know, the you know riots and things that are happening there with tear gas, you know that it's coming from a police person. So the minute the tear gas comes through the window, you assume that it has to be somebody related to the force that would have that tear gas canister. And will they know that one of their tear gas from inventory is missing? Well, Fred, now that he's sober, I have a feeling he will be able to figure this out. And then, of course, there's the mysterious wet spot underneath Tom. I, I watched it a few times. It looks like it could be water. Looks like it was made to look like blood. I never saw a real definitive color with it um, because he did get hit on the car kind of face forward and then rolled off. And I, I wouldn't assume that landing on the ground would be able to hit his head that hard enough that it would make that much blood from a head wound. Exactly. In fact... <laughs> we have a new television in my house and I've had an old television for so long that anytime a TV show had scenes that took place at night, I couldn't even hardly tell what was going on. But now with my new TV, I was able to see night scenes really, really well. And I agree with you, Troy. I think that it was just water. It looked like there was, I don't know if maybe it was supposed to have rained a little bit earlier in the night, but to me, it seemed like it was just a water puddle. Which, of course, water is even more important than blood on resurrection. Yeah, that was our big question from our initial conversation on Sunday night uh, with the fact that if Tom is dead, and we have some theories on that, of course, whether he's alive or not, coming up in the fan feedback section, if it is water, then is he going to return if he is dead? Well, that would be very interesting for the church that he's building for serving the returned as well as some folks that are quote unquote true living. And if he's the pastor and he's also a returned, it's going to add a whole new twist. Well, and then this, because he wasn't a return previously now or returned after the fact, I would assume we would have gotten more information about the returned through Marty being a returned, but maybe if Tom does come back as a return, maybe we start getting some answers as to how this process actually works. Exactly. And then someone actually brought up, you know, not to kind of deviate from the subject a little bit, but because of Maggie and the whole amnio uh, situation and trying to cure the illness, why would you actually try the cure on Ray? Why not try the cure on a returned? Because you have to first test that it could be returned to returned because Rachel was returned. And if that works, then you could test the cure on Ray. Why would you, you know, tested on Ray with a limited sampling that you had of those stem cells. I have no idea other than Ray is an important character in the show this season. <laughs> and we have some theories about that coming up also in the fan feedback section. Hence why I teased it now. Foreshadowing. Ooh. Good job there, Troy. Good job. <laughs> so overall, what did you think of forsaken Mr. Henderson? 
Well, I really liked it. And even though I've heard some folks saying they thought it was a little slow, I thought the slow was a good thing. So I'm giving this episode nine out of 10 disturbing diaries. Yeah. And, and the thing with this is that it you have to take the whole season into context and say, does this fit in with the overall storytelling? And I dropped it down a little bit this week. I gave it an eight out of 10 tear gas bombs only because, you know, the reliving of um, the memories with Elaine and Maggie being friends and then bringing up Caleb and just kind of giving people the groundwork for where we've been seemed like after a three week break, I wanted a little bit more out of this episode rather than kind of setting the stage just to leave me a cliffhanger next week until we figure out when it comes back for the final four. Right. Eight is still pretty good. I think that's one of the lowest scores you've had this season, but eight is still really, really good. And maybe it was just me and I was still on the trip to fan hangover from the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States. (laughs) Either way, we are totally hooked for next week's episode because it's going to be epic. 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 Number nine, December 7th. Stay tuned for that. We got more great thoughts and theories coming up from the Resurrection Revealed listener community. Brilliant theories, as always, from a lot of your favorites. Lucifer's back. X-Force 11. Mr. Jeff Gentry calls in. We hear from Neil from Bowie and also Ray Mays. So stay tuned for the feedback section of the podcast coming up next. And as mentioned, Lucifer is back for our fan feedback section. Uh, Lucifer says, I thought the episode was a bit slow and there was nothing. He says nothing to talk about except for the last 10 seconds. But the podcast see things I don't and listening about it makes me appreciate the episode a little bit more. I do think that Tom is not dead. I hope not. I could see once upon a time's Robin Hood in him a little bit. Kind of a third party second woman back from the dead, but chooses to honor the vow at first and then later not anymore. Well, at least he tried. (laughs) it's easy to ditch Janine out of the equation because she's doing crazy things right now. Unlike before when we really actually felt bad for her. Just want to say that Fred's eyes really tweet more than 140 characters, including emojis. He's the best. Thanks, sir. Bruce Wayne and sir. Troy legacy. (laughs) Oh, excellent stuff. Um, Wow. We we are getting quite formal here. I love that. And You know, with Janine going a bit crazy, I actually feel even more bad for her. I still think that Pastor Tom needs to get everything together after he recovers and get back with Janine and somehow find out what's going on with her mind and get her back on track. But I love the comment about Fred's eyes and the emojis. Yeah, I mean, he is the stress whisperer. That's his new name, right? (laughs) He's the best. Calming down tornadoes with a single bound. (laughs) Oh, super Fred. Also, Anna commented then and was talking more about a little bit about pregnancy journals. She said where she agrees that Janine has gone bonkers, keeping a pregnancy journal is not that weird. I underwent numerous infertility treatments myself and ended up using a surrogate and I kept a pregnancy journal. She is taking it a little bit too weirdly, though. Thanks so much, Anna, for writing that in. First time coming into the podcast. Great to have you. Excellent. And I had no idea. So... This is good information to have because it it might help tie into helping us understand Janine. And maybe she's not quite as crazy as we think, because in the end, she may be the ultimate surrogate here on the show. So that's good stuff. We appreciate that. And uh, Neil from Bowie said, 
Janine's personal protectiveness of the baby was quite the turn there. That was an awfully big thump that Tom was given. And then there's something definitely leaking out of his head. Oh, my. Um, Neil continues. The wet on the ground did not look like it was there when he first went down. If no one comes to his aid, he is dead for sure. Note the Wikipedia article on the episode already has written him off. What? Mm, insider information filling out that Wikipedia article. Neil, Wikipedia. <laughs> Good to hear from you, Neil. Uh, we shall see. Now, speaking of Pastor Tom and his current status among the living, and of course, anybody can come back on resurrection. I mean, that's the premise of the whole show. But we have a caller here. Uh, we did not catch her name, but she has some thoughts on what might happen with Pastor Tom, and she's hoping for the best. Yes, please save Pastor Tom. Hey, this is Jeff Gentry, X-Force 11, calling in for resurrection. Here's my theory about them showing the fingernails in the hospital. Um, the fingernails look really blue, and yeah, it may have been a symptom of the disease, um, but it also may mean like a lack of oxygen or blood circulation to the limbs. Um, I'm kind of wondering if maybe he, you know, he talks about not, you know, wanting to be returned and not letting him, you know, live or not trusting him if he comes back. Here's my crazy theory. He actually is a return already. Um, his dad, um, did something and he came back. And that's why he's kind of a little off and his sister kind of has to keep an eye on him. Um, you know, maybe he suffered something and, and then when he came back, he wasn't all there. Um, but maybe that's just my theory. That's, you know, why he got the virus is because he's actually returned and just didn't know it. Um, so that's my theory. Uh, look forward to hearing y'all's. Thanks guys. Bye. Thank you yet again for calling in some more great thoughts and theories to plus one nine oh four four six nine seven four six nine. Now, Troy, what do you think? Do you think Ray is a return and just didn't know it already? Kind of like how Bellamy didn't know until he died the second time that he was a return. That's a really good point. I mean, I think it was Elaine actually in this episode said that there was this one time when she was supposed to be taking care of Ray, and then she said, Nope. Not this time. I am doing something for myself. And could something have happened to Ray at that point that actually would have caused him to potentially die and then therefore become resurrected? And maybe he didn't know because it was at a young age, just like Bellamy was when he was a baby or close to being a baby when he died the first time. So it'd be very interesting to find out if Ray is indeed a return. I know it's very, very strange. The, the, and also, have we seen any of the other people that have gotten this virus get this weird, creepy blue fingernail situation? No, we haven't. And that's why I kind of called out it in our initial thoughts episode, because they pick up his hand and show it to us. And then they show it to us a second time. So going back to my old theory of you show me once, it must be important. But show me twice. Man, better be paying attention to those blue fingernails. You never know what uh, kind of hospital food you were eating. I know it definitely is something that we're supposed to look at. And you know what? This is kind of a crazy, not necessarily a theory, 
But the fact that it seemed so odd and so blue, and I don't think the show's going to go here, but since I thought it, I have to kind of share it on the show because remember in season one and when Ray thought that aliens were involved and he was practically wearing a tinfoil hat on his head, what if aliens were involved and Ray is somehow tied to aliens? Just saying, throwing it out there. What do you think, Troy? Very good possibility. We would have to wait and see how that plays out. I'm still not a big fan of the alien concept. I think there's something simpler yet dastardly at the same time. I really like that one theory that one of the listeners brought up about. I think it was maybe it was Ray. Maybe it was somebody else. I can't remember. But the whole concept that the government was behind this because they wiped out the town previously. And now they're trying to you know, distribute this virus to wipe them out a second time. So I, I still think government is related versus aliens. You never know. And they next thing you know, they're going to slap this giant dome down on the way. That was a different show. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray is back. No, not sick. Ray, the other Ray. Okay. Awesome. Uh, Ray says this episode gets a 9.6 from this res head. Omar is my favorite actor of the week for this episode. Most of the episode have great titles. Forsaken means deserted, abandoned, forlorn, and I'm still trying to figure out who or what that pertains to. Could be the factory, or it could be Henry going to Addison out on his own, kind of forsaking his mom. That's a really good point there. I didn't think of it that way. Uh, I find it interesting that with everything that went on in this episode, how calm and level-minded Fred was. What a change of personality. See, someone else noticed Fred the stress whisperer. (laughs) I do believe Marty's revelation will change the way the Arcadians see him. I believe that Grandpa wants to be in the middle of things to see Henry and the Langston legacy flop. This will be his revenge. No pun intended, since we're revenge fans, Ray. Exactly. Uh, That's why he goes along with the factory deal in the first place. I believe that Tom is dead and will return. Ray will die and return. I thought that Ray's fingers were turning blue, a sign that he was becoming an actual return himself right on the table. If Tom and Ray return, we could actually learn quite a bit about what's been going on all along. Great stuff, but this was really an episode that kind of recapped what happened earlier this season. They had to give a refresher to the viewer's memory because of the past few weeks being off. And that's how Ray finishes his statement. So, Ray kind of on the same wavelength as me there, Wayne. Except for a 9.6. That is quite a rating, Ray. Yeah, he's like, hey, it's a recapper, but I'm still going to rate it pretty high. So good for you that you're actually enjoying the episodes because it is a lot of information and a lot of big bombs. And I love the way that they did the reveals this week. It just from past episodes, I thought this one was a little flat compared to the rest of the season. And so Ray brought up a great point in there about how grandpa wants to be in the middle of things and see the Langston legacy flop. But in addition, now due to the banking deal and the house being mixed in, not only is it possible the Langstons may flop with their whole legacy, they're going to lose their longtime family home. And it's just going to be a major disaster. At least that's what I think grandpa is thinking. Yeah, it'll be really great to see how it all plays out. Now, Donna in Georgia... Everybody hold on to your horses because this is our crazy crackpot theory of the week right here. So Donna writes in and says, I thought about the blue nails on Ray's hands. I have a pretty good theory. Willing to bet money on it, actually. 
that Ray's sister, Elaine, who has been complaining about how her life had been ruined taking care of Ray and putting her own life aside, has been slowly poisoning him since the virus had taken hold of the returned. He is the only one that's a living that basically contracted the virus. Or did he? It seems a good opportunity for her to get rid of Ray by feeding or drugging his drinks over at Twain's where she works. She revealed to Maggie that she lied years ago when she said she went home during high school, but went back into someone's basement to make out, thus giving her a little character flaw of lying. She was also by Ray's side in the clinic. She could have given him more poison. She had Maggie take over for her to watch Ray at night while she took a rest, or was it because she had to cover her tracks and clean up any evidence? I also think that Fred will catch on, and the only way Elaine will get away with this crime is to sleep with Fred, and he will hush it up. She may be her father's daughter in other ways as well. Speaking of Elaine of Caleb, what do you think of that crazy theory, Wayne? This, Donna, is something I had not even thought of in the faintest. This is a wild, wild theory. And we've got it right here in this episode of Resurrection Revealed. If this comes to pass, you get full props on this one, Donna. I I don't see either of those things coming, but it, it very well could play into the fact that we're kind of being led to think that Ray is a returned or is becoming a returned, but it could simply be this, Donna. Good stuff. But And I love how she's using the TV show itself and concepts in the TV show to base her theory on this concept, right? She's talking about why would they introduce this conversation about lying, about going into the guy's basement and making out. And of course, then this ties back into the why Fred made a pass at her. And then she's still kind of, you know, welcoming him in his conversations. I'd be totally like, dude, you're an old guy. Creep me out. Go away. (laughs) Okay. But she still welcomes Fred into her life, and maybe that's because she needs Fred at the end of the day in order to make this twist happen. It's it's very well thought out. I'm, I don't know if I buy into it, but I like it. It would definitely be a twist that the uh, viewers would not see coming, except for the ones that listen to the Resurrection Revealed podcast. Right, and we thank all of you again this week for bringing in those thoughts and theories. Again, commenting. On our initial reactions post is one way you can do that, or of course, sending it into resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback. We love hearing from all of you because all of this is great stuff. It's fantastic because there's so many different ways to look at this show, and that's why it's great to have the listener feedback because there's only so many ways that you and I can look at it, Troy, and you mix in the listeners, and together it, it, our minds are expanding. We may or may not figure it all out, but we're going to have fun trying. So we want to remind you that Resurrection Revealed is not yet affiliated with ABC television or even with Plan B. And we are an unofficial podcast. We do have costs for keeping everything rolling here. And you can kind of support us in a couple of ways. First, you can do all of your Amazon shopping through our Amazon affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon or even donate directly to the show. You can invest in making Resurrection Revealed even better in 2015. You can donate one time any amount that you want, or you can even sign up for ongoing monthly donations, whatever you're comfortable with and want to help us out with. We appreciate everything that you do. 
Third, you want to keep connected with us. As Larry King mentioned, you can follow us on Twitter. At Resurrection Pod. And be sure to follow our personal accounts as well. You can follow Wayne at Wayne Henderson. And me, you could follow at Troy Heinrichs. And lastly, we'd love it if you could leave a review for us. Even if you listen elsewhere, head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes. Drop us a note and let us know that you love, you know, not only us, but also the fan theories as well. If you love Donna's theory this week, drop a note in iTunes. Let Donna know that you love hearing from her and you'd like to see some of her other theories in the future. It really helps us deliver to you the content that all of you want and, of course, the answers you want around resurrection. But most importantly, subscribe to the feed. Do not miss an episode. In case you didn't know, we had a very special episode during the hiatus with Jason Mott. He is the author of The Returned that the show is based off of. So if you missed that episode, you can get it in the feed. Just go ahead and subscribe in iTunes at resurrectionrevealed.com slash iTunes or in Stitcher, that's slash Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio even. Just go to slash iHeart. Wherever you listen to podcasts, there we will be. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to spend it listening to our show from all of us here at Noodle Mix Network. Thanks so much. I'm at Troy Heinrichs. And I'm at Wayne Henderson. Until we return again, we'll see you on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx, especially the Once Podcast. If you're already watching Resurrection, you should be watching Once Upon a Time right before it at 8 Eastern and Pacific, 7 Central, and then listen to Once, the unofficial podcast and blog and forum with theories and talk about ABC's Once Upon a Time. All this and a bunch more of great content is waiting for you all over at noodle.mx.